Anfield Talk podcast after Liverpool lose at home. Uh, we don't say that often, but here we are. I am joined today with our TAT pod regulars, Chris and Charlie. Chris, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, can't say I'm the most positive at the moment, but you know, we move on. We're still in a good position. Just, you know, obvious annoyance that comes from a poor performance. No, nobody likes a loss. And um, it's been a while, but we've got Charlie on as well. How are you, Charlie? Yeah. I'm all right. I'm not really too happy about the result, but I'm all right. I'm ready to fairly criticise and praise some players. Fairly. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> fairly. Are we going to get a sensible Charlie today then, yeah? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Cool. Uh, also, I'm delighted to say that we're joined by Laurie from the Anfield Edition. Thanks for coming on, mate. How are you? Oh, I'm good, thanks, mate. It's great to be on here. Um, Yeah, ready to get into the... So the game yesterday was disappointing performance, not what we expect. But yeah, sure, we can dissect it. Yeah, yeah, glad to have you on. I mean, this is like when the Power Rangers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles team. Up. <laughs> <laughs> we can call so, it that. Yeah, it's good. It's good for us to to team up, and uh, happy to have you guys you on. I'm sure we're going to get through it. Um, so we're going to start off with yesterday's performance. Um, since records began, I think the Opta records in 2003, we've never had gone a home game without having a shot on target at Anfield. Um, it was an abysmal performance. Um, I nearly fell asleep, I think, three times in the first half. I'm not sure about you guys. Um, Chris, I'm going to start off with you. Um, was that the worst performance of the Jurgen Klopp era? Oh, I don't like asking that, answering that question, only because I, I tend to be quite good at putting bad defeats out of my mind, mm. like bad performances, but like, don't get me wrong, it was bad. However, I think also for a large proportion of the game, we weren't horrendous. We were just boring. And I think when it comes to Jurgen Klopp team, sometimes that can feel worse. Mm. Um, so I don't necessarily think it was... So for a lot of the game, I think we were quite solid. We kept possession well. But just... It was just miserable to watch, wasn't it? It just wasn't fun at all. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think with Jurgen Klopp, sometimes when we lose, we, we lose in a good way. And, you know, we still play some decent football. Yesterday was, was the case of really, really bad football and a really bad result. Um, where do you think it went wrong, Charlie? What are your thoughts on the performance as well? Well, in the nicest way, I just thought it was insanely dull. I was doing the um, the commentary for it on the on the Twitter and... Honestly, it got to the point where all I was doing was tweeting substitutions. Mm. It was, I just, it was boring and we were awful. There was a fair few players that just just didn't feel, feel like they were playing half assed not bothered. But I guess that's kind of understandable because it's fairly, I'm not really overly fussed about the result, purely because we're in such a good position where we just need one win and we're through. But mm. I, st- I do still think against a team of that quality, playing with the Rigi up front. And that midfield three, despite it being the only three we can field, is still, I think. But I'm not too happy with the result. Yeah, I think the the midfield was very, very absent yesterday. And and when the defence is as weak as it is, it, it kind of, it kind of um, exposes that even more when your midfield is very um, non-existent. Um, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that. Laurie, I'm going to come to you on this um, 
can Klopp and the team be excused because of the injury crisis? Um, you know, three of the back four are non-starters. Origi isn't a starter. It's 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 very much a very difficult schedule at the moment. Um, can we make some excuses for Klopp or or did he get it wrong yesterday? I think you can make excuses to an extent. I mean, we've lost our captain. We've got none of our first-choice centre-backs, our starting right-back, a world-class midfielder in Thiago. And you can't expect likes of Robertson or Fabinho who's just come back from injuries play every single game. I think if you'd asked most people before the game, they would have rotated. And you can't with a fixture schedule with a pile, especially because we'd won our first three games in the group. We were comfortable. It would have been to risk everyone that, People, Klopp would have been slated if he'd done that. But it was just, there was a lack of bite to us. There was no urgency. It seemed like we were soaking up the pressure. And you could say we beat them five in the way. Maybe there was complacency in it. But mm. yeah, there was just a lack of rhythm. I mean, take you have to give full credit to Atalanta, who I thought were excellent. And yeah. see the photo of them after the game, which they deserve. They'd gone to Anfield and picked up a win. But yeah, it was just a very disappointing performance. I mean, you still expect us to qualify. We're in a good position, but it's just made the Ajax game next next week a lot more difficult than it should have been. Yeah, definitely. I, I think we would have liked to have just just done the got the job done yesterday. Um, do you guys think that the fact that we we battered Atlanta um, in their home ground did that kind of get the complacency in? We kind of forgot that they're a really really good side. Yes. I think the fact that we destroyed him so badly in the first first game kind of allowed us to think, oh, we're being 5 0, it's all right, it doesn't matter. You know, on aggregate, we've won 5 2. But it shouldn't be about that. It's more about, we're at Anfield, it's a Champions League game and we've got to win it. I just, it just didn't feel like that. It just felt like we were playing friendly, Sunday League. Mm. Mm. Is, is that the problem with, you know, we said that, oh, approaching the game. And when you approach the game sometimes where you're a bit more relaxed, there's not the intensity, maybe you're thinking a draw would do and these kind of things. Uh, and I'm going to come to you on this, Chris. Like, did it feel like that the, the whole approach to the game was very reserved? All, like, to me, it almost felt like there were times where people could have gone into, you know, 50-50 challenges, all of that kind of stuff, but but really held back because of, you know, maybe because of that men- mental issue with the whole, um, you know, injury situation. Um. I think yes and no, because um, uh, it's a bit of a weird one to try and explain. Um, I think, yes, we were reserved from a tactical standpoint. And I think you could tell that from the fact that our fullbacks were kind of holding a lot more, especially Nico on the right. Obviously, he didn't didn't have a great game. I'm not going to say he did, but it was very clear that he was the target. And so we didn't get as much movement going forward in the four kind of stayed as a four and sometimes went to a five at the back and even Simicast, you had kind of an easier run of things on the left didn't go forward as much so tactically yes I think we reserved but I think also and I don't know if it's the schedule or if it's just certain people struggling or people just not wanting it as much but the intensity wasn't there mm. so I think like you can call you can call teams reserved in terms of their approach like say for example you could have called the Spurs team that beat City the other week or was it the weekend reserved because they were soaking up the pressure they were holding and then going Mm. but we weren't going I think we it was almost like we were trying to do the same thing soak up the pressure and go 
but then all of the places where we would choose to have people go for example mm. would be you had people in the like just not taking opportunities and i've i've gone at him before and i know he will go down in sort of liverpool history for various reasons but it was divok Origi that was the main culprit for me mm. because what, what what makes you single him out because i mean loads of players had had an issue but what was your your issue with him well because for me that nine position is one of the most important and he just didn't go above a jog for the whole game he didn't make any sort of movement and I think in terms of we talk about sort of springing the attack and soaking up the pressure that doesn't work if our false nine isn't actually knitting together the midfield and the attackers and Origi was just kind of I think he's even worse centrally than he is out on the left because at least out on the left he can sort of jogging behind and he can go in behind but I think when he's asked when that's asked of him that really important nine role he's just Mm. not up to the challenge and I think that completely blunted our attack and I don't think our midfield did very well anyway I'll come on Mm. to that probably a bit later on but the rest of you guys agree with that um, hypothesis um, that that Chris has kind of come in Um, do you think it it kind of all falls a little bit with with the number nine Yes, I agree completely. It was the most half-assed, don't care performance I think I've seen from a, a forward at Liverpool for a while, which is yeah. kind of surprises me considering how how well we've been doing. But then you tell me it's a Rigi. I'm not really surprised. <laughs> it was yeah. just it just felt like he was doing a jog the whole game. I, 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 it was that one chance. I think it was in the first half when he did the chip ball instead of an easy, simple pass to play Salah through. <laughs> I just thought, what are you doing? You can't. You can't be doing that. Mm. No matter who you're playing for, you cannot be that bad. I, I get his iconic moments and stuff, but he is awful. I, I actually remember that. That was actually really bad, Laurie. What do you think on this? Do you do you agree with the lads, or or, or do you think that it's a bit harsh on him? No, you have to agree a hundred percent. That's the issue with Origi. If he was trying, I'd let him off. But it looks like he'd rather be anywhere else. It's just lazy. He's almost he's his game time on the clock. He rarely gets minutes, and when he gets those minutes, you'd think he'll want to put hundred percent in. But it's almost like he's accepted. Oh, he's got a small role. He's happy with that. Happy to pick up the paycheck. I've earned cult hero status from 90 plus six from the Barcelona corner taken quickly. And you would have thought with the Euros coming up as well, he'd want to get regular minutes so he can get into that Belgium squad. But it's just like he's out of place. He slows down the attack and he just doesn't look bothered. And you don't obviously will never forget what he's done. He'll always be a cult hero, but you don't want the lasting memories of him to be the player who looks half-assed and just couldn't be bothered, which it's a shame, but... I mean, I never really, because Klopp, when we doing like 2017-18, he was behind Solanke in the back and he got loaned to Wolfsburg and he got handed a massive slice of luck from Pickford's hour. And then he took his chances that season and he got the new contract as a reward. And ever since then, he's just, he's done nothing that's made him look like he's a Liverpool 
a player of Liverpool's calibre. And yeah, we've massively outgrown him. And if he's not moved on in the summer, then yeah, I don't know what the problem is. He's coasting, isn't he? He's coasting. Yeah. Those previous successes. Yeah, Yeah. it's almost like he's he's not going to think he's going to be criticised because he's earned that status from from winning it in Madrid and that, but he's just not, he's nowhere near good enough now. It's just, it's sort of painful to watch him. Just to play devil's advocate on it a little bit, I mean, whenever Origi plays, he's kind of goes in and out of the, the team. That That's a bit difficult, um, you know, for any kind of player. But And also, a lot of the times when he does play, he plays on the wing, which for me personally, I don't think that he... I don't think he's suited to the wing at all. Um, I know he had his chance up front yesterday through the centre and, and he never he never showed why why he should be playing down there. Um, but I'm trying to kind of, I guess, maybe, not maybe make excuses, but they, they, there's two sides to this, I guess, in terms of in terms of Deval Karigi. Um, you know, I have a sentimental side. You know, he, he scored some some wonderful goals and, and these kind of things. Um, but but is it, are, are we just saying that it's time to move on for him? Um, yeah, basically, he's outlived his usefulness for me. Um, mm. I think he's always played better, maybe not pre sort of the Funes Mori injury, but this is going that's going back quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but certainly after that moment where he lost a yard of pace and a yard of confidence, I think he works better alongside someone. So I'd be interested to see what he could do if we play that four, four two sort of that four two two two. Mm. formation but I just don't think he's got enough about him to carry it by himself because he's almost a he's almost a target man now who's a good snap mm. finisher but he doesn't yeah. necessarily have any of the guile that yeah. he used to get away with because he was rapid as hell but now he's kind of lost that so I just think the problem is people will argue well can you get any better for someone who's going to play so few minutes and then you say well probably not but then you don't want people to just sit on the bench you want people to push the first team yeah. like Jota wasn't would have probably you'd have thought got similar minutes to sort of a Rigi last year when mm. he signed maybe a few a bit more but what he's done is he's come in absolutely taking every opportunity possible and now he's at, he's arguably well, he's he. You'd say he's probably on a level with the three already on current form in terms of who's going to get picked or who deserves to get picked. So that's what you want. You don't necessarily want people who are just willing to sit on the bench because if they're willing to sit on the bench instead of push for a position on the pitch, there's obviously a mentality issue there. I think. Yeah, and I think with Origi as well. If we, I mean, we've spoken quite a bit about him. I think. We, maybe we can leave that conversation there. But to to segue into the next part of the conversation, I think is when we're talking about someone like Minamino, um, and obviously he he comes on in the last uh, four minutes, and I'm kind of I guess in my head I'm thinking, all right, we all know Origi's been bad lately, um, and Laurie, I'm going to come to you on this in terms of if Origi's that bad and he wasn't able, like Minamino wasn't able to take a, a to be able to use. Um, yesterday, or even be substituted on earlier. Um, how bad? How badly down the pecking order is he then? It's it's a Minamino. It's a weird one on Minamino because I think when he's played this season, I know it was only League One against Lincoln, 
but he got two goals against Arsenal Community Shield. He got a goal. It looked like he was he'd settled more. He looked better. He I think it was poor when he started against Michelin, but he had a one bad game. But it's just he's not had the chances at all. So he must be doing something wrong in training. And you can't say because when he first joined, okay, he was moving from a new country in January. Took time to adjust and settle in that team. But he's been here almost a year now, so you can't blame on acclimatising. I mean, we, we signed him for seven and a half million with the release because he was never going to be a starter for us. But he's just not shown anything apart from obviously he's had a few games. But if you can't get ahead of a Rigi who isn't offering much more, and the fact he only got four minutes off the bench, it's just you would have thought, okay, there's an option to try and change the game. He would willing to take that chance. But he just the fact Klopp didn't turn to him is quite concerning. I mean, maybe he's got a very bit part role in that his ceiling, but mm. I don't know. It's a it's an odd situation. I'd rather see him get the chances over Rigi because we know mm. what Rigi's ceiling is. Well Minamino, it looks like he has potential to do more. But if Klopp doesn't want to give him those minutes, there must be something that we're not seeing. So, yeah, and and Chris, I'm going to come to you. I I, I think I definitely agree with uh, what Laurie's saying in terms of um, you know Minamino being a better suited fit rather than Origi. I think the ball you know sticks to him better, better his holder plays better. How did you um how do you think about this? Because I know Chris, you're you're quite a fan um, of Minamino as well. I like Minamino. Um... I like him a lot. There, I, th- I think there's only one thing that Origi can give at the moment that Minamino can't, and that is possibly ball retention because Origi does at least have the strength to hold it up. Whether or not he does it with any talent or quality is dependent on what side of the bed he wakes up on that morning, seemingly. But Minamino's kind of still a bit sort of... He needs to get in the gym a bit. He can get dispossessed quite easily, shoved off the ball. But other than that, even if they're both as shite as each other, the fact is that Origi doesn't know how to function in our system, and Minamino does, which he because he's shown that on num on a number of the occasions that he's been given. Minamino is not of the level of sort of our main four attackers, but he can play that false nine role with a decent amount of quality. He's got the movement, he's got the guile to pull the defenders around, which is arguably the most important part of that sort of role he's just not necessarily got the strength to do the hold-up play and sort of go toe-to-toe with them in the way that Firmino can so in terms of like why isn't he honestly I don't know because whenever he's played he's 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 at least looked better than Origi put it that way even if he's not necessarily looked great he's definitely not looked like the worst option out there so yeah there must be something in training I don't know Klopp commented a couple of days ago saying like it's not a dip in form, he's just sort of meeting the challenge. And I wonder if maybe I mean do, I kind do, of, think it's, do you think it's the case of, you know, we had with Robertson, we had with Fabinho when he first came in, a lot of the signings when they first come in, there's there's a period of time where they kind of have to have to kind of uh, you know get up to speed tactically, maybe physically, um, fitness wise, all of those kind of things. Do you think that's the case? Or do you think it's going down the other route of, okay, we've, we've kind of made a mistake here, maybe. Obviously, it's not a big mistake. It was, what, 7.5 million very, or, or a very low kind of transfer fee. Um, which, which, which way do you guys think that, that that's gone? I think it's more of a, 
complete mess up of a transfer. I think it was main. The main focus was to boost sales of Liverpool merchandise in Asia and stuff like that. Because we, you like you mentioned with the Robertson, the Fabinho, wait wait a few months to develop them. We've had him for ten months, and I can't name a game he started off the top of my head. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's one of those. I think it's just a complete mess up transfer. It went horribly wrong, and the fact that he's not starting over Origi in a game which is perfectly suited for Minamino uh, is definitely something going wrong with him in the club. Can I there counter re- that? There was, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I agree. I would agree in principle, but I think there's two things that make me disagree. The first off is that 2020 has been, for all intents and purposes, completely fucked. So. Yeah. You know, it, there was he joined, got barely a month, then was off for God knows how long, and so essentially his bedding in period restarted off a couple of training sessions a week because they were playing sort of lots of games in Project Restart. Then you get the preseason, which was barely a lot of time, and then Jota comes in and essentially leapfrogs him in the pecking order, which I think sort of delays that development again. So. I don't think it's quite as bad. I just think he needs to do the thing that we've been saying for a few weeks, which is strengthen up. Because, you know, Salah's about his height and he's got like the core, excuse me, the core core strength of a Greek god and can just shove off anyone. So I think he needs to Mm -hmm. get in the gym and get that conditioning. But I don't think it's quite so, you know end of the world for Minamino you know he's let's be fair he's not been here a year yet so while it is a longer bedding in period I think there's a few mitigating factors that you can look at obviously I'm a little bit biased because I do like the guy but I think there are reasons that can be looked at as for why it's he's struggling perhaps Laurie um, I think uh, Chris gives a, a good case there but what do you think I think Obviously, Charlie, Chris have uh, made their cases for for Minamino. Shall we shall we get the final verdict from you? Uh, do you think it is the case of of that, or uh, that that he he needs some bedding in time? Uh, is there less pressure because of the fee? You know, even if it takes him a year to to get up to speed, that that still is you know, if we get a really good player at the end of it, that's still a it's still a win for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a a case of a bit of both because. Yeah, 2020 has been a shit show of a year. It's not been... you. Yeah, we've had shorter pre-seasons, Project Resort, it was interrupted. So you can cut Minamino some slack in that regard. But again, look at Jota. I know Jota was 45 million, um, adjusted to the Premier League, all those factors. But he's come in and made an immediate impact. Minamino hasn't got the same chances, but if he was impressing in training, doing something, he would have got more minutes than he has done. he has done. I mean, this was... Again, we rotated heavily on yesterday, and he still didn't start. And Mane, who's played virtually every minute, still got ahead of him, which, when you consider we should have been rotating, resting, that was... It sent alarm bells ringing for me. And I think another issue is, when we signed him, everyone spoke about his versatility. I don't think he's as versatile as people say. People said he could play as an 8. People said he could play as a 10. People said he could play on the wing, through the middle. And I just don't think he offers as much. I don't think he's a bad player. And regardless of how he turns out, we'll probably make a profit on him. But 
I, I like to see him get more chances, but I think it's understandable that people's patience is wearing kind of thin on him. But I think, yeah, you have to give him more time and hopefully FA Cup's coming up. He'll get those chances. Hopefully we progress um, against Ajax and Michelin. He can play then. But yeah, mm. it's it's frustrating. Yeah, it's it's definitely a conundrum. It'll be one to kind of look at over the next uh, few months and towards the end of the season. Um, there were some rumours, I remember, about him potentially being uh, involved in some sort of swap deal or, or something like that. There could be potential for him to be involved in future transfers. We don't know. Um, moving on, um, I wanted to talk about the fullbacks uh, from yesterday. I'm going to start off with Nico. Um, um it was a very tough night. I do feel like he was targeted um, down that that side. Um, obviously, he's a very young player, very inexperienced. Um, we have to caveat all of that. We have to, you know, mention it because it's it's very important. But there, you know, at the same time, we have to talk about you know the performance and and how it went last night. And um, Charlie, I'm going to come to you. Um, obviously, we've seen the reaction on on social media, all of those kind of things. Um, what 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 was your thoughts about um, Nico's performance? Well, if I'm gonna put it nicely, it wasn't very good. But I understand he's a kid, inexperienced, but we can't criticize him too much. But we have to criticize him regardless. That makes sense because I'm seeing people say that we can't criticize him because he's a kid. And the last time we did, it got bad, and he blacked out his social media. I understand that completely, but he just wasn't very good. And I think. In order for him to progress at this club, he might need a loan or he might need a good run of games against weaker opposition. I I do think he's got potential, but I don't know why we sold, we didn't sell him and sold Hoover mm. when he's more experienced, a better player, can play centre-back as well. It was, I was just a bit of an unusual one for me because he played... Well, in the cameo versus Leicester, I believe it was. Mm. But I just, I don't know what happened. I think he lost I mean, the ball like 27 times in like 100 and something touches. Yeah. I mean, the right back is never good. We, I mean, we saw this with, with Trent when he first came through. He had, you know, ups and downs, especially in that first year when he, when he broke into the first team. Um, Chris, is this just a case of, you know, we have to be patient with a young player um, or... Were there some some aspects of the performance yesterday that that weren't really promising? I think there's 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 something really important in what Charlie's just said there, which is that yes, Nico's a kid, yes, he's young, and yes, the abuse is wrong, but yeah. people are treating that as an excuse to not critique his performance. And I think mm. if you're player on the pitch, you are allowed to have your performance critiqued and analysed. That said, I think another problem is he's come in in Trent's position mm. um, at around the same age. And so everyone's gone, oh, we should become Trent then because Trent did. And mm. ultimately, Trent's become the best right back in the world. And I think it's very hard. Mm. I think that's possibly somewhere where Nico gets more critique than perhaps he deserves is he's being compared constantly to one of to you know one of our best ever right backs mm. and our best ever right back is still only what 21 so mm. you know it's it it's it's tough because yes he wasn't great but i also don't think he was that bad i thought defensively he was 
he did quite well considering how aggressively he was targeted. Mm. Um, I think on the ball, he needed a bit more work. He really struggled. Um, but yeah, I don't actually think it was that bad. I think the problem he has over Trent is he's he's a lot slower. So, mm. you know, there was no real perceptible difference between Nico, Nico sorry, sprinting last night and, you know, James Milner sprinting back at the weekend. Mm. And whenever Trent makes a, 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 you know, he cocks it up, um, he's always got the pace in the same way that Robertson, whenever that happens, has the pace to recover and get back on board. And Nico just does not have that recovery speed whatsoever. So the second he makes, you know, he makes a, a, an error, immediately it becomes a problem all the time. Uh, on the her- on the Hoover thing, um, I think it's hard because he probably wouldn't have got many minutes because Klopp obviously rates Nico. I think the issue maybe comes in terms of Hoover's versatility and, you know, extra pace. You know, he might have got minutes ahead of, you know, maybe even Reese Williams, let alone Nico. Um, I think it's a tough one because... If I remember rightly as well, Wolves wanted to sign Nico, but we said, no, you can have Herver instead. And Mm. that, to me, is an issue. Obviously, I get that that if if they rate Williams over over Hoover, then Hoover's going to be the one that's sold. But looking at how they've performed, I'm not sure that they should be rating Williams over Hoover, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. It's just a tough one, though, isn't it? Yeah, because, from, from what I remember, um, yeah, from what I remember with Hover, it was the something over like minutes and and first team action, all of that kind of stuff. I think with Nico, and I'm going to come to you on this, Laurie. Um, one of the things I noticed was um, it, it felt like yesterday, no matter what was happening, he was still trying to do the extra stuff in terms of attack and being very front for it. Um, I think I tweeted about it during the game. Just do the simple things, Nico. Like, like just do do simple show passes. You know, clearing the ball. Um, you know, you know, very very simple kind of things. And and that just wasn't happening. Do you think it's the case of what Chris is saying in terms of, you know, he's trying to come in and replace Trent, who is, you know, one of the best right backs in the world. Um, but we, you know, we need we we kind of forget that Trent wasn't Trent uh, when he first came into the team. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think he tried to do more than the basics. I mean, I remember seeing a video on Twitter of him during the game. I remember him trying to do a 360 kind of turn. I have no idea what he was doing. And he just ran it out for a, for a throw-in under no pressure. And it's kind of those moments you think, he, I know he's 19, he's learning. You don't want to be too harsh. But he just looked sort of woefully out of his depth. There was There was, the thing is like, there was, I know someone compared, like said, he lost possession so many times. And Trent lost it lots against Atletico, say. But Trent created the chances going forward. He crossed the ball. He offered something. But Neko, mm. I don't remember him offering anything going forward once. And I was an advocate from getting a chance against Leicester and yesterday because at the end of the day, he's a natural right back. Mm. Um, well, obviously, Milner is a 34-year-old midfielder. You think, OK, give the right back a chance. But... Milner was great against Leicester and mm. Neko was shocking yesterday. He hasn't, like Milner should be above him in that pecking order now. You don't, 
And I think alone or even just more under 23 game time, he's 19. Most people around his age would not be playing regularly for a club of Liverpool's calibre. They would still be with mm. the under 23s. And it's you don't want to be because too harsh. I mean, there are going to be people on Twitter who send abuse. I mean, no, that's wrong. But I tweeted, I think Neko should um, get a loaner on 23 times. He's not ready for this. And people said, oh, yeah, this is the criticism that made him black out his account. I think people often think there's a point of what you can criticise. If he's on that pitch, I know he's only 19, but he's on that pitch. We're allowed to criticise him, say he's not ready. It was a ball performance. It comes with the territory. There's a fine line between abuse and constructive criticism. But I think yesterday the criticism was warranted because he had a poor game. And I think alone or on the 23 time will benefit him. He's young and he'll learn from it. And I yeah. still think he has potential, but he's just far from being ready for being thrown into a Champions League game. Yeah, I, I think definitely. I think I think it's about, you know, critiquing to the point where, you know, I think everybody wants the same thing. We want Nico Williams to do well. That benefits Liverpool. We want our youngsters to do well. We always do. Um, so I think everyone's on the same page with that. And hopefully, um, you know, this is just a learning learning curve for him in that sense. I mean, moving on, I want to... We've been talking about all of the negatives. There, there weren't many positives yesterday. Um, a article came out today from uh, James Pierce about um, our left back uh, left back's performance yesterday. Um, I thought it was pretty harsh. Um, I thought Simicast did quite well. Um, obviously, there's teething issues. There's maybe positional issues, awareness, and and, and these kind of things. Um, Laurie, I'm going to start off with you on this one. Um, do you think that Simicast was probably the only slight positive from the game? He looked quite comfortable. Um, and do you think that criticism that he's getting at the moment is quite harsh? Yeah, I mean, of course, no one played well yesterday, and it's hard to find any positives. But I did find it odd. I'm trying my hardest here, Laurie. I did find it odd that Piers singled out Simicast. I know he did a Rigi as well, which is fair. But he said, oh, yes, Simicast will be droppable droppable against Ajax. And then just kind of, he's he's, he's just joined the club. He's had COVID. He had an injury. He's adjusting. And we don't expect him to be Robertson. But I thought he was was decent yesterday. He's, it's almost he's get... He's getting criticised for not being Robertson. You don't expect your backup to be the calibre of the best left-back in the world. And, yeah, I mean, he's not going to play often, but we've got a genuine backup there. And I thought he did a fine job. I thought the criticism was unwarranted, to be honest. And I thought he was one of our, probably one of our better players on the night. Yeah, definitely. And um, Chris... what do you think in terms of Simicast's performance yesterday? Are you does it show some potential for for you know for a really good backup left back? I thought he had a good game. I cannot understand the the criticism. I think maybe I think it's for their f- um, actually I'm not sure which goal it is, but um, for one of them, the whole back line was basically shunted over to the right-hand side of the pitch and was way too far across so that uh, Simicast was actually basically level with Alisson in goal. And so that's a structural issue and not him, but he was certainly someone you noticed because he kind of, the goal scorer nipped him behind, um, behind him and got in. But other than that, I thought Simicast had a good game. I think, I think he struggled from that sort of tactical thing we mentioned earlier where I don't think either of the left backs 
uh, either of the fullbacks, sorry, particularly overlapped as aggressively. Even Robertson, when he came on, didn't do it that much. Mm. I think that was a tactical thing. But in terms of, I thought defensively, he was quite solid. He was sort of marshalling the wingers as well as he could. I think he did quite well. And going forward on the chances he got, his delivery of a ball, I think, isn't actually that far off Robertson. Some of the balls he played in, if it was actually someone half decent at fo- at, at nine, mm. I think we would have scored because some of the sort of the caliber of the deliveries that were going in from that side, yeah. there was only about three of them, obviously, because we didn't get that many opportunities. But any one of those three could have been a goal. It was just sort of the position the positioning of our attacking players was kind of a bit off. Um, so no, I don't get the criticism of him at all. One thing I will say though is I don't think he was the only negative. I think mm. Jones certainly had a great first half. He kind of, he tired a bit, I think in the second, because obviously he played a, a lot of the game at the weekend as well. But, um, I do think he had a really strong first half and he was the only one of our three midfielders who looked like ever creating anything. Um, so yeah, I think Simicass and Jones were probably the two brightest sparks. But yeah, I don't understand the criticism of, of either of them, really. I think sometimes as a fan base, we get swept up in bad performances. And although this was definitely a bad performance, it wasn't a bad performance whenever we because we're such a good team if we lose it must be because everyone was shite uh, and not their ability sometimes it's almost like people aren't actually watching the game when they give their opinions because I think you know Simic is a good game Jones had a good I would say at least 60 minutes of that game I think Mm. why now struggled massively going forward but defensively he was very solid and he's mm. he's looking as a good option in that six in terms of a sort of martial covering that front, covering those centre backs. And I think it's important that Rhys Williams didn't look overly out of place at the age of 19 as a centre back yeah. in a Champions League game. You know, yeah. it's not it's not all doom and gloom, but it seems like, yeah, we've got so used to success almost that the second we don't get and we start stopping that, everyone goes, oh, shit. Everything's going. Everyone's bad. Ugh. There are positives, not many, yeah. but they are there and they should be recognised. I think that's definitely true, and I think we kind of speak about it quite a lot. That, like, when people have certain agendas and these kind of things, it doesn't matter what actually happens on the pitch. It, it's just you know, if we were shit, then those players that that person thinks is shit is automatically shit, um, no matter what actually actually happened on the pitch uh, in mm-hmm. that case. Um, I'm going to ask all of you this question. Who do you guys feel like on a night like yesterday, um, did we feel like we missed the most? I mean, I think Laurie mentioned it earlier. Henderson was out, Van Dijk, Thiago, Ox, Trent, Gomez, Shaqiri, the list kind of goes on. Um, who would you guys say would have really made an impact yesterday if they were involved? Um, I think Henderson for me, by far. Hmm. I would possibly agree because I mean for one thing I think there was a time about a season and a half ago where the whole fan base was basically collectively agreed that Henderson and Wijnaldum couldn't play 
together in a three because they offered very much the same mm. in terms of what they did. And so when they both played, we kind of stagnated a bit. Henderson mm. has massively moved on his game since then. And Wijnaldum's kind of altered his approach, I think, to be a lot more ball retention heavy. And which is why he's kind of been moved into that six role and has been quite effective there. I think that's no longer true for those two, but it's definitely true of Milner and uh, Wijnaldum. Those two, now that Milner slowed a bit and now that Wijnaldum's kind of made, made his play more conservative, I think those two really struggle when placed as two of the three. So I would I would argue that any of those players who can play in midfield... So Henderson, Thiago, Ox, Shakiri. I think if any one of those plays instead of Milner, maybe, mm. or say instead of Williams and Milner goes out on the right or whatever, I think that's the area where we struggled the most, probably in terms of just getting that ball recycling, getting it moving in midfield. Our, midf- our midfield was quite stagnant and Jones was the only one even sort of trying to do anything. So I think the likes of a Thiago able to ping those passes in would have been invaluable last night um and obviously you can't um you can't understate the importance of henderson as the captain being on the pitch but yeah definitely midfield i think was would have been an important place that we definitely missed out on yesterday definitely i think midfield was a very key position yesterday i think the midfield didn't function at all um in any way shape or form laurie um what about you who was it that you felt we were missing the most yesterday yeah, I mean, of course, Henderson is the obvious one, his leadership. And I don't think we play with the amount of the passiveness that if he's on the pitch. But I think you get this question whenever a player is injured, it's so-and-so is the most important player. I remember when when Allison was injured with Adrian, and go, it was like, Allison's a player we can't afford to lose. When I saw people say, yes, they Trent's our most important player because they drop off to Neko, Van Dyke, Henderson. It's very much, it shows the extent of the injury crisis that we've had, but you could point to three or four players that we missed yesterday being the important cog. And I think, I would say Van Dyke just because I think, say, I think for the second one, especially the defending was very static. Um, mm. So I don't think that happens with Van Dyke there. So, mm. yeah, it's, I, you could point to any, any three or four players that we missed yesterday and say they were the biggest loss, which shows how bad the situation is, really. Yeah, definitely. And, Obviously, with Van Dijk, we, we hope him a speedy recovery. Uh, we know that he's in light training, which is a bit crazy, um, considering uh, the injury that he's had. So maybe we might see him towards the end of the season. We don't know. Um, are you guys worried about qualification at all um, going into the Ajax game next week? Do you think we're going to get it sorted next week? Or are we going to the last day like we always do for some reason? I think we'll get it next game, personally. I think we'll beat Ajax. Just about. It might be one of those... 3-2 or 3 kind of games. I think we'll beat them and qualify. But if we draw or lose, then I'm concerned. Because I don't like the fact we're leaving it to the last day. Because that's a typical Liverpool, Liverpool thing to do. Leave it right to the last minute and then get it done. We've done it for, the, I think, the last three seasons. I really hope we win against Ajax. It would be so, so much less stress because obviously we know that Midgetland aren't the best team in the world but you never know they could do a villa on us and beat us 7-2 mm. <laughs> oh, don't, don't say that, that but... 
And what about the rest of you? Do you think it's gonna be it's gonna be wrapped up tomorrow uh, next week? Um, I think I think we've struggled in terms of our order. I think if we'd have had sort of Ajax's order where we play Mitterland as games three and four, it would be wrapped up by now. And we're kind of the problem we have is. If it goes to the last day, I still think we go through because our last game is Michelin, is it not? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. Yes, it is uh, on yeah, Wednesday the night. Um, oh, early kickoff. But it's just annoying in terms of our fixture schedule that it could well go that far. Mm. Obviously, the, that's the main reason I'm bothered at all about yesterday's result is it now means that we're going to have to field good sides and we're probably going to have to go full strength against Ajax next week when ideally, you know, we're playing again, is it Saturday? And then we're playing again on Tuesday against uh, against Ajax and we're going to need pretty much all of our available first team players for both of those games because we've got such an injury situation and we can't really afford in either of those to start dropping points. So... Yes, I still think we go through, but I think last night's result makes it infinitely more difficult mm. I to think it... keep pace in the Premier League more than anything because we're going to have to keep the, the the quality level and the players across both of those and we can't really afford with the injuries we've got to start you know, rotating people, even though we kind of have to. It's just put us in an awkward position, I think. I think we saw on Tuesday two of our title rivals... Um wrap up their group and now they can rotate in the Champions League games, Chelsea and, and Man City. Um, so I, I think there's a definitely a frustration of of not kind of getting the job done yesterday. Laurie, what, what do you think? Are you are you worried at all or do you think it's going to get sorted out next week? Yeah, I mean, I'm still very confident. I'd say 99% confident we'll go through the group and I'd still say 80-85% confident we'll top it. I mean, you think when we won won it in 2019 we lost those three group games we lost to red star psg napoli and we still went through and went on to win the competition and you think Michelin, that should be i know anything can happen but it, it should be a guaranteed win i mean it, the, yeah the annoying thing is obviously fixture congestion we're going to have to be stronger against ix but you'd hope if we get the job done against them then Michelin, we can just throw like the B team out and be comfortable that we're going through. It's a group we we should top because we are the strongest team. So yeah, it's just frustrating that fixture wise, it's made things a lot more difficult. But we're still going to progress. Fingers crossed. Well, I hope so. We should. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we don't have to take it to the last day and, and get everyone nervous for no reason. Um, and hopefully we we finish the job off next week. Um, I guess um, there's some good news. We're going to stop talking about the Atlanta game now. Um, I'm going to move on. Finally, <laughs> bit of positivity. <laughs> um, but we're going to move on to some obviously the the sad news that came out yesterday. Um, oh, shut up. Diego, I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> yeah, the, obviously the news that um, Diego Maradona has passed away. Uh, one of the, one of the greatest ever footballers to grace the pitch. Um, I think for myself growing up, even though I wasn't old enough, I am old, but I'm not old enough to to remember him. Uh, but obviously, we know about his impact through P 
people that talk about him, the images, the videos, the stories, the the absolutely crazy lifestyle that he lived, um, all of those kind of things. And, uh, you know, he passed away yesterday and we can see from everybody the the different kind of um, the different um, uh, stories that came out, the different um, people saying all of these, these positive things about him and, and his impact across the world. Um, I wanted to ask you guys about you know your thoughts on on Diego and uh, I know that everyone's quite young here so they probably don't remember him playing but I think I still think that there's 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 a massive impact that he's made even for the younger generation yeah I think my thoughts kind of fall very strongly in line with Klopp's when he was asked this question in terms of I'm sort of approaching my mid-20s so I'm definitely not of the era that watched him but I have you know, I've gone back, I've heard all of the stories about how wondrous a player he was. I've watched all the compilations, I've sort of been in awe of him. And I've also read about sort of, you know, him having his, his sort of troubles and also weirdly how sometimes those troubles brought people as much entertainment as his actual football. And so I think in many ways, I'm going to miss both parts of that sort of, I mean, he was a character. He was amazing. And he was a genuinely, genuinely gifted footballer. And I think it is just, it's a cry and shame. Yeah. And Laurie, um, what are your thoughts of, of Diego Maradona? Anything that you want to say? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously tragic news. And yeah, again, a bit before my time, but you see the stories, the clips of him, obviously the hand of God. And I remember, I remember when I first came across him, I think he managed Argentina at the 2010 South Africa World Cup. And it's just, I remember mm. like watching and seeing his weird training techniques. I remember like him kicking, just kicking balls like Messi's ass in training. It's just, <laughs> he was like an eccentric character. It's, you don't get those as much in football these days. He's just someone, the lifestyle he lived and the football he played, He's he will live on as a footballing he will always be a footballing legend. I mean, I remember seeing comments on Twitter yesterday about him praising our fans for Istanbul and the never-say-die attitude we had. I mean, he had a the connection he has with football, with football fans, that legacy will always live on. It's a, it's a huge mess for the footballing world. I think the one thing you can say is, on the pitch or off it, he was always pure box office. Mm. And it massively... The sport is a massive miss without that. He he was a massive figure in the game, whether if that was on the pitch as a world-class player or just an absolute character of a manager and that kind of thing off it. It's it's a, it's a huge miss for the sport. Charlie, anything you want to add? I mean, we saw... Um, I don't do really know enough about him because I'm young, younger than all of you guys. But yeah. from what I've been told by my dad and people that I follow and know that he was an incredible footballer and like as much as he had that unusual lifestyle and unusual tactics like you said he's just a once in a lifetime footballer one will probably never see that kind of caliber of player ever again so it's sad to see but yeah I don't really know too much enough about him to really make a fair comment other than it's very sad to see another football footballing legend die yeah it's uh it's been a bit of a crazy year 2020 we've, we've seen a lot of crazy things happen and and this is just another one of the things i do want to mention is the british press and i want to mention how how 
pathetic they can be. Um, someone has just, you know, passed away. One of the the greatest kind of iconic players in the in the world, and and they've decided to make it all about, you know, that that game um, in in the World Cup and and you know the the supposed cheating, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's I think they need to just get over themselves and and just kind of you know you know some someone just passed away. Um, to be talking about all of these negative things, I think it's um, I think it's quite pathetic to be honest. Um, anyway, moving on, uh, we're going to move on to the Brighton game. Looking forward, um, we've just seen some images today of Henderson uh, being back in training. Um, would you guys throw him straight in, or would you hold him back just in case in terms of him coming back from injury? Throwing him straight in, I can't deal with yeah, Milner yeah, centre mid. I can't, I can't deal with Milner centre mid. Play Milner right back. Henderson in the midfield. Need Henderson back. ASAP. I don't oh, care if he's got one leg. He has to start. <laughs> he has to start. To be fair, with his with his motor, he'd probably get more uh, more yards on the pitch with one leg than half of the players would with two. But yeah, I don't disagree. He goes straight in. He is a absolute. People get annoyed when you use the words world-class with Henderson. And I think the reason for that is he's all substance and no style. And there's this real thing about like world-class players having to have flair when it comes to football. Like It's like you can't just be the most effective. You have to be the most effective at this trick stuff with it. Um, and I think but I do think Henderson is a world-class midfielder because he is just pure efficiency and effectiveness. No, like agreed, there's not much flair there at all. But what you can do, and any of our midfielders really, apart from Thiago, who obviously is the the only so yeah, it, it, for me, he's got to come straight back in, and then you get to take Nico out the firing line because you can put a Milner back over at right back. I think it solves a couple of issues that were very obvious last night. If he comes straight back in, so yeah, gotta be. Looking at the midfield options, if we're pull, putting Milner at right back, it's actually the case that Henderson needs to play because we don't have any other midfielders he's the only one back um, so it'll be him um, Jones and and uh, Guinea Wijnaldum in the middle um, was Laurie I'm going to come to you on this was there anyone from last night's game that you feel either deserves to play against Brighton or has no right playing uh, on Saturday yeah I mean with the current injury crisis of course options are more limited and say with Curtis Jones, if he starts on Saturday, that'd be three games in a row for him. And you wouldn't really have thought that would be happening at the start of the season. And yeah, I mean, you expect the likes of Robbo, Fabinho to come straight back in. And yeah, as um, we've already covered, I, Neko can't play again. He was, wasn't was good, out of his depth. And Milner against Leicester, I wasn't didn't want him to play the beforehand, but he had a great game. So he starts it right back. And I thought Reese Williams was all right yesterday. I mean, mm. he looked comfortable enough, but I'd rather have Fabinho Matip there. And mm. then I think that would give us Henderson, Genie, Jones in midfield. And I honestly think the best... I don't see Klopp doing it, but I would switch to a 4-2-3-1 and play Hendo Genie as a pivot and have the front four ahead of them. Because I think, yeah, I think Jones 
I think three games in a row is a bit much. And I think he tired yesterday. So I think Hendo Wijnaldum ahead of, um, obviously, a Robbo, Fabinho, Matip, Milner back line would mm. be the best option. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a Hendo Genie, um, a Hendo Genie uh, and Jones play as a three. And yeah, I mean, it's possible Klopp might keep faith in Neko, but it would be the wrong move. And I think Milner will go back or right back. Yeah, I, I think one of the points you made there about Rhys Williams, is there an argument there that Rhys Williams keeps his place and Fabinho plays in midfield? And then you got a really strong midfield in maybe Fabinho, Henderson and Wijnaldum, uh, which was the the midfield that started in the Champions League final, the, the strong midfield. Um, would you be doing that, Chris? Uh, um, this is for Brighton um, I don't know actually I will say I think the, the pro- problem I have with it, it is mainly is around the Jones question um, mm. mostly because yes I think it's tough uh, sort of asking three games in a row from him and he definitely did look tired at the end of yesterday's game the problem is he would be far more useful against in that midfield and I think that midfield that you've just said there Wijnaldum I think that would be the midfield I'd go against Ajax I think having that creativity against what will probably be quite a low block Brighton side would be more useful than sort of an Ajax team who need results and will come at us I think you can get away with sort of the industry there I still think Henderson comes in but I'd probably play Fabinho and Matip at centre-back and then Wijnaldum at six, Henderson and Jones. But that said, if he's given a rest, it would still make perfect sense. I just think in terms of what he can give to the team, it would probably be more useful against Brighton than Ajax. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe that would be the way that club goes. We don't know. Um, uh, do you guys see any of the other players coming back? Uh, I know that the training pitches today, they only showed Henderson back in training, um, but we're, we're led to believe that Thiago is is coming back soon. Um, Ox is close to return. Do you think we'll see any of them back on Saturday? I'm going to come to you, Laurie, on this. Um, what do you think? I mean, the thing is with, I think we all want Thiago back now. I mean, I remember a lot against... Um, after the Leicester game, I think it was David Lynch or someone said he should be back to face Brighton. And now he's still not back in training. That looks unlikely. If he makes it, it would be on the bench. He's not going to start as he'll be slowly eased back in. I think with the Thiago situation, we're just taking as it comes now. I think if we got our hopes up that he's going to be back for Saturday, back for Tuesday, we'll just be disappointed when he's not. And the thing is with Ox, I think we could really use him right now. I wasn't I think we play a smaller role as progressed, and but as he's looking back, and I also think he could be a genuine right back option as well. I know he did there, he played um, wing back under under Wenger at Arsenal and did well, and I think he would be an option if Trent if Trent's out, and it's obviously a midfield he gives something else as well. So, yeah, having Thiago Ox and hopefully Shakiri as well back soon would all come as timely boost, and I think. Naby, I imagine it would probably be a few weeks and it came at the worst time for him, I think, that injury. Because he had a great great first 60 minutes, however long he was on against Leicester. And yeah, he could have done with the extended run in the team. But again, I'm hopefully all four of those will be back soon enough. And just having Henderson back again is, is such a boost. 
Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I think everyone's going to want to want to see our captain back in the game and uh, back on the pitch, uh, definitely, and kind of keeping those standards high. Um, he was definitely a miss um, last night. Um, before we move on, um, I'm going to ask you guys for your predictions. I'm going to start off with you, Charlie. Um, what's your prediction? Well, um, I think if we go with Henderson, Genie, pivot, 4-2-3-1, I think we'll win 3-0. But if we go Henderson, Junior Jones, I think it'll be a 2-1, 3-1 kind of vibe. Maybe concede. But I'm fairly confident for this one. Brighton have got a, a nice way, the way they play. But I think we can yeah. destroy it with the 4-3-1. So I'm going to go 3-0, I think. I think we're quite lucky that uh, Lamptey got sent off in the last game. Very lucky. Yeah, and he's not playing today. He's a very dangerous player. Um, Chris, what about yourself? Uh, if it was a full strength Brighton, I think I'd be worried because they can. And they've certainly, you know, realistically, they should have had United, even if United aren't playing great. Mm. But, you know, ability. Yeah, um, but, you know, they're without Lamptey, who's a massive threat. A question. Uh, and I think we will go back to sort of our best up front which, which I think could be a really cool moment and sort of with that and Henderson back I think and I do think we get a win I'm probably going to go yeah 3-0 to be different I'll say 2-0 do you think it's going to be quite comfortable Laurie you're the last one what's your prediction yeah I think Brighton the thing is that they're a decent side. I mean, I think they've got unlucky a lot of some seasons. The amount of times they've hit the woodwork, they should have beaten United. And it's a lot, they play nice football, don't seem to take the chances. And But they've played well against Aston Villa. And that Welbeck finish was, was nice. So it, they, they're going to come in quite confident. Obviously, Lamptey is a loss. But it's a game we, we can't afford to drop points. If, we, if we're if we obviously we're joint top now with Spurs. But it's a game we have to pick up the points in these games. And I'm. I think after yesterday, we'll Klopp will he'll be raging. We'll want to bounce back with a good result. And I'll, I'll go for. I'll say three-one. I think will be the result. Okay. Well, three wins. Um, decent, decent kind of uh, results as well in terms of goals and, and all of that kind of stuff. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll see us going back to winning ways on Saturday. I mean, we, we if we get three points on Saturday, we're top of the league. Uh, we're still top of the Champions League group. So it's not all doom and gloom, lads. Uh, please do cheer up <laughs> and stuff. Uh, what did I say? All of these problems at the top of the league. Um, moving on to the last section, uh, we've got a few questions that have come in through our. Twitter page um, that I'm going to ask. I'm going to start with the first one, and any of you can can come forward and and, and answer this. It's from Robson. It's inevitable that Rigi will leave soon. How fondly do you think he'll be remembered, and what is the solution if he leaves? Sign another striker or promote from within? Mm, um, I think if Rigi leaves, Minamin. You know, is there, and I think you know we've still got Shakiri and Jota as as cover. So I think we'd be okay in terms of filling him in, uh, sort of filling that gap. I think it's not a hugely urgent position for cover. I don't think. So I think maybe we look to sort of the junior teams in terms of how fondly 
it's a weird one because in some ways he's it's almost been laughable and and it would be like sort of Jimmy Triore. But then in other ways he's also played a massive part in our history. And so I'd give him sort of cult hero levels of Dirk Kalt, but for the complete opposite reason. Whereas everyone sort of everyone loves Dirk Kalt because he was just always constantly moving, always sort of he was always 110% the whole time, whereas I think remember for just his ability to almost be in the right place at the right time and it, and ha- having a good finish. It just makes me sad because I always think of the, the Funes Mori challenge and sort of what could have been. Because, you, you know, it was at that point he was the one leading the line. And I think that Origi has a place in the current Liverpool team. The problem is he, he's not that Origi anymore so but no I think if he leaves he'll still be looked on fairly I just think I worry because the more chance that sort of legacy he's made has of diminishing because I think he's just gonna have more chances to eventually cock up (laughs) for want of a better phrase yeah definitely for me I, I think he'll always be fondly remembered especially for the 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 special goals that he's uh, he's uh, he's um, he's scored for us. Um, the next question, unless anyone wants to add on to that, guys. Yeah, I mean, I I think he'll be fondly remembered. We're all frustrated at him now, but those goals caught like the, the Barcelona comeback is one of the greatest moments in our club's history. The the Champions League, the final, those moments will always overshadow um, sort of the lazy player we're seeing at the moment I think in most fans eyes when he leaves he'll get a fitting tribute it's obviously the right time to depart um in terms of signing anyone else bring within yeah I, I don't think it's an urgent need because you've got Jota, Minamino etc I mean I'm a massive I'm not saying it's an Origi replacement up top shifting out for me you know, I think next summer I would like it's not going to happen but I'd love Haaland I'd obviously shift Origi possibly shift for me you know, bring him in change things up but yeah, and then promote a younger sort of Galatzel or something from the academy. But yeah, I mean, I think Origi, he'll be remembered. He will get that cult hero status and he deserves that. But it's definitely time to go. I agree completely. Okay. So, I think sorry. Origi is a hideous footballer, but remembered Barcelona. And I think I wouldn't say hideous footballer. I think Wijnaldum will be remembered as the same. Maybe I'd. Argue when Adam's a legend, purely because of how well he did in our first season. But I think I don't know how I managed to get Wayne Adam involved in this. But anyway, I have no <laughs> idea what? how you got Wayne Adam into this this conversation. Um, he's in my um, head twenty four seven. I can't help it. It's like, it's he, like Jurassic he Park, in... the life finds a way thing. He will just always find a reason to talk about Wayne Adam for whatever situation he's in. Funnily, funnily enough, that moves us to the next question. It's from someone oh. called Michael, who says. Do you still have a Wijnaldum agenda? And I don't know who that's targeted at, but oh, I, imagine I, <laughs> I imagine that's me. <laughs> I think it's I, I think it's both of you, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh. it's in the reply to Laurie's tweet, so I think Laurie, you take That'll it first, and then there's an mm-hmm. obvious person to follow on from that, which would be Charlie. I mean, agenda. It's a word I don't. You criticise a player because you don't think they play well. I think agenda is. It's quite football Twitter kind of talk, having an agenda against players. If 
if any player starts for us, you want them to play well. If they play badly, they get criticised. I mean, I think the thing is I criticised him over, I think, especially after the restart, most of last season, because I just think he didn't offer a lot. He disappeared. People said he knows sort of nothing really going forward. Yes, he did the job to covering the space for Robertson, whatever, but it's just, there were times like he ghosted a lot. But I think this season, he's been mostly, he's good, he's been good, he's been deserving of his place. And I think the main quality he has, which often goes forgotten in football, is his reliability. So I think he's played virtually every game since he's signed for us. I can't remember him having a major injury or even missing the one or two games since he's come here, which is kind of remarkable. I mean, I think it's the right time to leave next summer. He's not signing a new contract. Shame we couldn't have got a fee, but he gets a new challenge and we'll wish him well. He deserves that and to win new titles somewhere else, whether that's Barcelona, Inter or some. I think, yeah, it's and to breathe some new life into the midfield, the club would be good and he's going to go on as far as he can. But yeah, I think he'll always be remembered fondly. And this season, he's definitely put in a good shift. And he's been he's been one of our more consistent players, I think, this season. Right, I'm going to agree. Have... I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree. <gasps> I was just going to say, Charlie, you, you seem to have got an ally in your little... Yeah, I, he's been good this season, but not enough. I'm I'm still waiting for the thing I said at the start of the season. I need a goal or an assist before January for it to be it to be over. And that's club football, not international. International doesn't count. Mm. I'm still with that basis, but he's been a lot better. He's surprised me. I didn't think he was good last night, or he was all right against City. But I think he's been a lot better this season. He stepped up, and I'm pleased he stepped up. I think mm. I respect him on the fitness kind of always fit regardless but I don't respect him as a good footballer because I still don't think he's brilliant but I'm not going to say any more on that because I will get attacked so I'm just going to leave it at that I don't think he's very good and I, I, think will, will... I will Chris do you want to go on thing of what you've just said I, go on. I've just got one que- I've got one thing that I will say which is you're talking about a p- player who is excellent at ball retention is very strong defensively and is always always available. Now, there's a French player who's got all of those attributes and is considered one of the best. And you wouldn't say to Kante, well, he's got a score or assist in order for me to think he's a good player. I think the problem we have is he came in as an attacking midfielder and has been transformed into a defensive midfielder, but people still think and expect of him the things they did when he was an attacking midfielder. Probably because he's still able to do those things when he plays in that position for for Holland. It, I think it, it, it it's almost too harsh to ask that no, of him. I, I, I understand that pretty completely. Much every game he's played this season, nice he's played at, at, at defensive midfield. Oh, it would. But that's, I, that's I think the only it's thing that's had me back. I just to, want to see him score more because he's, when his goals are good. I just want to see him score and contribute more. Makes it a lot more exciting footballer for me. That's all. That's all I'm after. I don't want to slander his goal and assists. It's just I want. I would like to see him score more and assist more because it, you know, that that goal against I think it was Bournemouth, the chip. That those kind of goals. Oh. I, I want. To, I want to see more from that. I want yeah. to see that. Mm. But we I can't. It's trapped him in 
This disgusting role is annoying. <laughs> that's the problem, though, is when that's what you want from a... It's almost... It's it's harsh to pin that sort of, like, call it Charlie, an agenda if you want. Charlie, shouldn't it's you hard to sort of... That's yeah, point. I mean, I've said a few things in the Anfield Talk WhatsApp group chat that haven't gone down too well about Klopp and his ideas. But yeah, you you don't want to mention it here, I guess. No, I don't think I will. I think Ronaldo and his role in the team. I think the difficulty is that a lot of his, what he does is like untangible. Um, so blocking off passing lanes, ball retention, all of those kind of things. Adding that steel to the midfield, you don't often kind of see um, quite often, but. But the effect that it has, like one of the things is, you know, in terms of our midfield, our defence being a lot stronger since um, Van Dijk has been out. One of the, the reasons for that is because Wijnaldum's played more. I feel anyway, he's brought in mm. the stability in that midfield to protect the defence and make I us not shaky as we are. I'll agree uh, with but, you to an extent on that, but not fully. because One, one day we're going to get you swinging his name. One day. No, I don't think that will never happen. <laughs> Can uh, I maybe, say one thing on Wijnaldum? On you've, you've got an amazing chant as well, so I don't know why you don't want to sing that song. That's true. <laughs> it's great. One thing I will say is, for the whole time that Fabinho is needed at centre-back, regardless yeah. of what you think of Wijnaldum in a attacking capacity, he should definitely be our starting defensive mid. He yeah. should be the six in our system if Fabinho can't be, without question. I think Fabinho is centre-back. Just... Better centre-back. I think he's better for us at centre-back at the moment. And I think if that's the case, the whole time that that's the case, Wijnaldum should be our six. Because he is just defensively rock solid. Because I apparently think he will. We've, we've put in a 27 million bid for Ajax youngster. I can't remember, I can't pronounce his name. He's a, the centre-back that played well against us. I don't think Klopp's saying that. Or something like yeah, that. something like that. But according to, I think, a few reports in... Netherlands that we've put a £27 million bid in or something. So I think if that comes out to be true, we won't see Fabinho as a centre-back unless it's he's a backup and Fabinho is a starter along with Van Dijk when he's eventually back. God, I miss Van Dijk. Anyway. <laughs> sounds like I we're doing we, the old... Uh, we all do. Yeah, it sounds like we're doing the old, um, you know, cause some issues before a big game next week. Uh, oh, yeah. Ajax camp, maybe. Um, fellas, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, thank you guys for joining us and uh, going through this. Um, thank you to Laurie, especially for, for coming on from the Anfield edition. We hope you enjoyed your time on the on the show, mate. Oh, it's been great. Thanks for having me, mate. I really, really enjoyed it. It's been great. Uh, great to have you. And uh, anybody that's listening, thank you for listening. Uh, please do make sure you um, use the hashtag TATpod to add your opinion onto the conversation. Let us know what you think. Any feedback that you guys have, um, really happy to take it. And uh, we're, we're always trying to improve on here. So so let us know what you guys want. That's the main thing. Um, but everyone at the Anfield Talk, uh, we'll catch you next time. Take care. Cheers, Bye. Cheers guys. Thanks, guys. Bye.